let's stand as we pray over the word. Fact is, you that are at home or watching online in any capacity, I encourage you to just open your heart up as well uh, as we dive into the word this morning. Father, we thank you that your word is alive, that it is powerful, that it slices right to the heart, to the inner man. It slices into uh, the, the core of our emotions. It slices right into the foundation of our life. And we just welcome the infusing, the engrafted word of God today to shift our inner man, to, to build us up, to edify us in who you've made us to be in the Messiah, in the anointed, in the Christ. We give you the praise for it today. We bind up right now over the atmosphere of those hearing, watching, partaking uh, every negative voice, every argument of the enemy. We say, be quiet in Jesus' name. And we loose the word to have prevailing power in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. My theme today is, uh, is actually, is this the time? That's my theme today. Is this the time? Um, where is the revival? How long, Lord? Uh, do you ask questions like that? Uh, I, I don't know if you do. Uh, for those of us that are in the prophetic uh, stream or we're in the prophetic hearing of God, uh, I think that we're anticipating uh, great things in God. We're anticipating this revival and this awakening that has been promised. Uh, uh, we've heard what the prophets have been saying. Uh, we've heard what trusted prophets have been announcing uh, maybe, maybe we've been attuned uh, to uh, even the things the Holy Spirit's been saying to us personally. And then I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're dealing with any question or doubt or cynicism. Uh, I, I, I don't know where your specific heart is, except that I've had conversations. Uh, with several of you, and uh, it could be that that as we continue to kind of press through, uh, push through, walk through this current uh, place of uh, the world kind of upside down. You feel that way ever at all? Because uh, it's not just the COVID situation, but it's so much more then maybe you ask, you know, is this, is this really the time? Is this really, is, this, is God really up to something good? Is he, is he going to rescue America? Is, are, we going, are we going down the tubes? Is this the end of it for, you know, is this the end of it? I mean, we're, we're seeing so many radical changes in culture. Uh, and, and so, and maybe you have come from, uh, as I did, I grew up in the camp uh, where uh, my eschatology prepared me for this. Uh, my eschatology prepared me for things to get worse. Uh, I actually, for years, anticipated they would. So if you grew up in that camp, it's actually like, well, oh, wow, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. There's a lot of things that I was told coming to pass. Therefore, I can't 
really do anything about this. So I, and so that could be where some of us are at because some of our eschatology prepared us, some of our, some of our teaching trained us for things to get worse. And so whenever things are getting worse, sometimes then we begin to think, you know, maybe this is the end. Maybe this is the fulfillment of some of that. Maybe this is where things are supposed to go. Uh, and, and I, I want to just encourage you, you know, if you, if you dive into any endeavor with defeat in your heart, uh, that's actually called diving in not wholeheartedly. If you dive into any endeavor without victory in your heart, I, I, don't, I don't care what it is, if it's investing, if it's building a business, if it's making a purchase, if it's athleticism of some expression, whatever, and, and us as parents, we've actually watched this with our children, maybe even as we're trying to identify what their strength is or what their non-strengths are. And, you know, we've kind of watched this in our children. We get them involved in this, and then we kind of note their heart isn't in it. And so if their heart isn't in it, then they don't anticipate victory over it. So then they, already, they enter into it with defeat already washed over their emotions. They're not wholehearted. And so if they're not wholehearted, if their heart's not in it, then uh, we might as well, you know, we've already lost before we've started. We might as well look for something else that their heart will be in. We might as well look for something that they actually have a heart toward, wherein they can approach it with victory in mind. And I, I think that that is... That's part of where God needs us as a church right now, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, no matter what our eschatology has been, no matter what catechism or Sunday school taught you, God needs your heart in the game. He needs you wholehearted right now. He needs you approaching life out of victory, not out of defeat. Because if you approach it out of defeat, you're going to taste of defeat. And then you might blame it on whatever devolving theological eschatology or Armageddon thoughts you've had. I, I don't know what you'll blame it on. You might, but you'll probably blame it on God. But actually, the essence of the issue is that you approached life without victory in your heart. So as it pertains to where we're at as a people right now and where we're at as a church right now, we want God to move, but maybe we see a delay, so we're asking, is this time? We want revival, but we see a delay, so we're asking, is this time? We want God to shake things up, <laughs> but, but we're asking, is this really God's time? And then, and then we observe, didn't he allow other nations to perish? Didn't he allow other nations to wallow in trouble? Didn't he allow even Israel to be overcome by enemies and harmed? And so, could that happen with us? Could that happen to us? And, and 
So, you know, for me, I'm totally convinced that this is time for God to move. And I'm kind of like, I don't care what you show me. I'm just, I've, I've already made up my mind God's going to move. So therefore, here's what I've made up my mind. God's going to move for me if for nobody else. God's going to move for me if for nobody else. And I think that's how he wants our hearts because if he's going to bring forth a corporate body with faith, he has to bring forth individuals with faith. Because the corporate body is only made up of the combination of all of us getting together, all of us who have resolved that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord not half-heartedly. We will, and serve the Lord doesn't mean just like wait on him. It actually means we will trust the Lord. We will trust the Lord. As for me and my house, we will trust the Lord. And it's only through you know, the collective body, the collective expression of the church is only as strong as the individual decisions that are made in every life and in every home that for me and my house, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to put the Lord first. I'm going to believe the Lord in the face of everything that's going on. That doesn't just mean believe the Lord for salvation that he's going to, that I've got good fire insurance, that should I die today, stumble in front of a car somewhere on I-5, it's going to be okay. It, It means that I'm going to see the Lord prosper my way. I'm going to see the Lord make a way for me. I'm going to see the favor of the Lord upon my life. I'm going to see the enemies of the Christ subdued under my feet because I am the anointed. That's what it means. And this is the mindset that, that we've got to have. It's the mindset we've got to have. What if we're wrong? What if God allows us to languish? What if God allows America uh, to be judged? I can still determine to live in revival. I make a decision every morning to live in revival to live in reformation, to live in renewal. I don't have to look at CNN or Fox or any external to get my barometer set, to get my compass set, to get my internals set. I'm looking to the Lord. I'm looking to the Word of God. And what I love is that even if I'm totally out of season, those whom God, those who believed God out of season still saw what it is they believed they would see even out of season. And I think that's why some of them are in the Bible. I think why Daniel is in the Bible and why he's amplified or magnified in the word like he is is because he lived in victory against victory. He lived in victory when victory was not in season. What was in season? Captivity was in season. So if we would have listened to the prophets, we would have heard, oh, uh, captivity. We would have heard, oh, it's time for captivity. We would have heard it's time for judgment. We would have heard, and we heard it with Jeremiah, 70 years there will be captivity. But some lived in victory 
against victory. Some lived in victory during a season of captivity. And I think you have to decide what is your posture going to be. Even as you hear even as you hear prophetic words that might have negative relevance or negative truth, are you going to choose to live then out of defeat or will you choose to live in victory out of season, in victory against victory? Because what you choose will determine how you'll be upheld how you'll be protected, how you'll be raised up, how you'll be provided for, how you'll be favored, how you'll be seen, how you'll be promoted, what you choose. God's not going to choose it for you. God's not going to jump down in your inner man and make you shift your compass toward faith. He's looking to you. His eyes are going throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are trusting toward him. Come on, I'm going to choose victory. I'm going to choose victory. I'm going to choose a victorious stance. I'm going to choose a victorious heart. Now, I'm already messed up because my eschatology is victory, but maybe yours isn't. So I'm just saying if your eschatology isn't victory, you can still choose to live in victory in what you have determined to be as a season of defeat. Will you do it? Because if you'll do it, we'll have something in common. We'll have victory in common. Wouldn't that be fun? I love these verses, and you you know I wear you out with these verses, but I, I love some of these verses that speak to me volumes about the season that we're in. Because these verses, and I'm going to allude to a few of these, these verses that speak volumes to me about the season we're in are verses that speak to us as believers before the second coming, before the end of this age, before it's all wrapped up, before what some of us have called in theology the rapture of 1 Thessalonians 4. One of them, and I, I love it, it's mentioned several times in the Word. One of the first times is Psalms 110, but then... The Hebrews records it as well, Hebrews 1.13. To which of the angels did God ever say, Set at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? I love that. I love that. This is a posture that Jesus has taken. Metaphorically, it's a posture that Jesus has taken as Father is putting his enemies under his feet. Well, that means it's progressive because right now we can see all sorts of enemies that exist, but we've seen a lot that have been conquered. We've seen a lot that have been conquered, and there's going to be more of these enemies conquered progressively, and this is what's happening is that the kingdom began in Jesus, at the resurrection. But the kingdom has been given to the sons of men. We've become partakers of the kingdom, and it's realized in the earth progressively. 
So even today, we might say, well, if, you know, if God is so good, why do all these evil things happen? Or, you know, if God is so good, you know, how can he allow this? And if God is loving, how can he, how can, how can he love, how, how can he allow these things to happen? Progressively, he is winning and washing the earth. And progressively, he's winning the hearts of men. And progressively, he is subduing the demonic realm. And we're going to see that more and more and more and more. And that's a perspective that I encourage you to take, no matter what your eschatology is, that progressively, and I like to live this way every day, more is going to be conquered on Monday than it was on Sunday. My Tuesday is going to be better than my Monday was. My next week has more potential than my last week. Why? Because progressively, Father says, sit here as I put your enemies under your feet. More and more we will see. And this is what God's doing. He's raising up a believing church, a people who agree with what he's up to. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. You guys know this is some of my favorite stuff, and uh, I'll move through these quick. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, I mean, you know, there's sermons here. There's multiple sermons in this passage. But what I love to focus in on, and it gives me great hope, is there will be no end to the increase. There will be no end to the increase. Again, this speaks about the, the growing kingdom. We abide in, we are citizens of, we are partakers of a growing kingdom. Well, if that doesn't, if that doesn't shout victory, I don't know what does. Come on. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and I, I, don't, I don't want to camp on these because this is not the sum total of where I want to go today, but it sets the stage, I hope, for your hearts to see an increasing victorious kingdom, that you are part of an increasing victorious kingdom. And even as that's operating in a macro cosm way, a macro level, across the earth, across the nations, it's also being released over you if you'll come into agreement with it. Though it's macro, it can be micro. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, 
to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Now, you can muse on that scripture. You can meditate on that scripture. Uh, you can pray on that scripture. You can pray into that scripture. But I'll tell you what that scripture is telling me. That scripture is telling me that when he comes back, and this is the last Trump passage. This is one of those last Trump passages. When he comes back, he's not coming back for a mess. He's not coming back for a messed up church. He's not coming back for a messed up people. When that last trumpet blows, some of you thought I was alluding to Donald Trump, the last Trump. The humor in the room is astounding me. When he comes back at that last trumpet blast, He's coming back for a glorious church, a glorious people. And what if that scripture, just what if, I'm just going to mess with you real good, right? What if that scripture means that the only enemy left to subdue is death? What if the church has come into such an elevated stage of victory what if you as individual believers, actual Christians, not in name only, but actually the anointed ones, who, as Daniel said, in that day will do exploits? What if the church has come into such an elevated state of victory that the only enemy left to put under his feet is death? Would that be okay with you? Or would you rather have a messed up world for the rest of your life? Would this be okay with you? It's scriptures like this that, that, that give me hope for an increasing kingdom. These things give me hope that we're going to see more and more people in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crud, in the midst of calamity, in the midst of a drug-addicted nation and globe, we're going to see more and more people come to the Lord. Satan has created the Full Employment Act for every Christian. We have more than enough work to do and more than enough anointing to dispense to completely change people's lives. Yeah. Ephesians 4 Ephesians 4. Now, we like, to, we like to meditate on Ephesians 4, verse 11, and sometimes we start at verse 4, sometimes we start at verse 8. I know uh, all of you Christian folks, you know verse 11 really well. Uh, and so, you know, that's our five-fold ministry verse, you know. And so you've been around Christianity for a moment or two. You know, you've focused on that. But I want to I read again to you one of my favorite passages starting at verse 11 but going further past verse 11 because I want you to see the nuance of where this goes. And this is all going there before the rapture. Before the end of the age. 
while you're still uh, sucking air on planet Earth through your mask. And that can be like breathing through a plugged vacuum cleaner, I'm telling you. Verse 11 of Ephesians 4, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That's the work of ministry. The word service there is doma in the Greek. It's ministry, ministry expression. To the building up of the body of Christ until, everybody say until. Wow. That's the word I want you to see right there, until. Until when? Until we all wear out. Until we all get tired. Until we uh, confess uh, uh, our worthlessness. Uh, Until what? Until. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What? It's stuff like that that blows me away. It's stuff like that that gives me great hope. It's stuff like that that tells me God's got victory in mind for the church. He didn't just appoint these offices of ministry to equip the saints so that we could fulfill the work of ministry and have churches and churchy expressions and 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 learn about him. And and there's no destination in mind. No, there's actually a destination. We're actually going to arrive. There's a generation going to arrive at a destination. That destination is the fullness of the stature, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's why I tell you there will be a generation on the earth, and it doesn't have to be you. You can say, I'd rather have defeat. I'd rather have trouble. I'd rather have negativity. I'd rather have uh, uh, discouragement. I'd rather have failure. I'd rather have, I'd rather, uh, uh, you can say that. But I believe that God's going to raise up a generation of people who are going to walk on water because Jesus did. They're going to raise the dead because Jesus did. They're going to heal the sick because Jesus did. They're going to forgive sins because Jesus did. There's going to be a generation that walks in the full stature of Christ. I would prefer to be in that generation. But here's what I think. If I'm not in that generation, I can determine to be one of those sons out of season. I can be a forerunner of that generation. I can be a forerunner of that generation. How many of you want to be a forerunner of that generation? 
That's what I hope. I hope that God is raising up a people that want to be forerunners of that generation, a people who say, do it with me, God. Do it with me, God. I want to mature. I want to mature into the full stature of Christ. I want to come up into the fullness of the faith of Jesus and the full stature that belongs to him. He's looking to develop a people like that. He's looking to develop a people like that. You believe it? In the midst of troubled times, when believers are under persecution and hardship, he rescued the believing. He rescued the believing. God protected the believing. He blessed those who would not compromise. His favor is on those who walk with him, those who choose him, those who give him their heart those who give him their attention, and they live in victory against victory. And then the thought occurred to me, you know, uh, what if, what if, and this is crazy thinking, but it could be prophetic, it could be pathetic, But what if Father has to let a generation or a portion or a people who are unbelieving, what if he has to let them get off the scene? I don't want to say perish because they still might arrive in heaven. But this is what he had to do with Israel. See, he had an unbelieving generation, though he did signs and wonders in their midst, though he had a great promise of a promised land for them. Still, there was a generation who was unbelieving, and so Joshua and Caleb had to be the two who lived in victory when the season wasn't victory. They had to live, they chose, and it says of them that they had a different spirit. They chose to live in victory when everyone else was living in defeat. And so then God actually says, I'm going to forgive all of those, I'm going to forgive all of those who are choosing to live in defeat. Remember that? I'm going to read it to you out of Numbers 14. What if the church right now has a bunch of forgiven people, but part of what we're experiencing is the transition in the body of Christ where God is moving us out of doubt and fear and distrust and unbelief. God's moving us out of that kind of people into a people who fully agree with what he wants to do with the increase of his son and his government of peace in the earth. Numbers 14, this is interesting. You you remember the passage. You might remember the story. The time finally came for them to go into the promised land. 
hundreds of years, the promise had been made. It's time for them to go in. They come out of Egypt. Moses is leading them. You remember that story? And then they come up to a place where 12 spies are sent in. Ten of the spies came back with what the Bible calls an evil report. Why was it evil? Do you remember why it was an evil report? Because it disagreed with God. Right? But two of those who had been sent in to spy out the land, they saw the same giants. They saw the same evil. They saw the same darkness. They saw the same immorality. They saw the same sacrifices to the demonic. They saw the same Baal and Asherah. They saw all of the same things. They saw the same fornicating people. They saw the same unclean people. They saw the same violent people, aggressive people, spiteful people, hateful people. They saw the same exact things. But Joshua and Caleb had a different report. They agreed with God even though to agree with God would mean God would have to show up with signs and wonders and miracles. And so Moses confronts the people, and the people, you know, cry out for forgiveness, and Moses intercedes for the people. And here's what the Lord says, Numbers 14, 21. And I wonder sometimes, maybe this is part of what God's up to is that God is shifting the church right now, and he might be asking you, will you be a part of a shifting church, or will you remain in an unbelieving church? Will you remain as a part of a defeated church, or will you choose to be a part of a victorious church? Numbers 14, 21. Then the Lord replied to Moses, I have forgiven them as you have asked. This is interesting. This is interesting. He forgave them. By the way, a forgiven person doesn't mean that that person has postured their heart wholeheartedly with a trust in God that God will bring them into victory that God will work victory on their behalf, nor that God will bring the kingdom forward in victory. And so it was here. I have forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of these who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors, not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Oh, there's that word. Wholeheartedly actually means that you have, you have made some kind of an inner transition in your heart that you believe that you're actually destined for victory. That you and you and him who you are one with is actually, you're actually destined for victory. So you're going to throw everything into it 
You're going to throw everything into it. You're going to live with all of your heart because you believe fully that regardless of what happens around you, regardless of the season, that you will prevail, that by my God I can run through a troop and leap over a wall, as David said. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. This is what the Lord's doing. He's raising up an overcoming church, a Christ-like church. He's had a company of unbelief. He's had a company of those who fear. He's had a company of those who have been bound. He's had a company of those who actually have had Ichabod written over the doors of their church. The glory has left some of our local assemblies, but God's raising up a new people. He's raising up a new breed. And it's not to say that those aren't forgiven. It's just that they may not be able to go in to the promised land. Psalm 23, my attention was drawn to Psalm 23 as we consider living in victory regardless of the season, setting our heart on victory, becoming wholehearted toward him, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Where? Where is he preparing a table for you in the midst of your enemies. Even if the season isn't victory, you can have a relationship with your Father where He releases victory over you. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to go back into worship. I don't think I brought my communion up here. We should ready ourselves for the elements.
Church, you can decide today how to posture your heart. People of God, you watching, you are his favorite. The Lord cares about you. Your victories are his victories. By the way, you're not his enemy. The enemies spoken of in these passages, the enemies spoken of in Isaiah 60 and 61, those enemies are the demonic realm. And his greatest pleasure is to rescue you and me out of the clutches of the demonic realm. That's his greatest pleasure. His greatest pleasure is to make something of us when the enemy has said, you're nothing. I want to read Psalm 37 as we get ready to take the elements. And just a few of the verses. I encourage you to meditate on these scriptures this week. Psalm 23 is not for a funeral service. It's for a living service. It's for a living service. You can find yourself in a valley that is shadowed with death and fear nothing in the midst of it. You can find yourself surrounded with enemies, and maybe you do right now in your work environment or with your own family or in a community situation or serving on a board. But the Lord will prepare a table for you in the midst of it. And he'll anoint your head with oil. And he'll say, this one's mine. And they're set apart. And he'll put his favor on you. This is what our hearts must anticipate and expect. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers. Stand with me this morning if you would. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait for him. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. These passages belong to us. These passages belong to us. We set our heart on him, and we trust in him, and we look to him, 
and he makes our faces radiant. I want to invite you this morning as you take the elements that you would renew your covenant of faith with him. That you would decide this morning, I want to be more than a forgiven Christian. Numbers 14, 21. I want to be more than a forgiven Christian. I want to be one who abides in him and he abides in me. I want to be so one with him. I want to enter into a communion, a common union with him. Insomuch that the victory of Jesus fills my heart, enables me to live wholeheartedly. Before we take the bread, just right where you're at, if you'd just take a moment and pray, would you do that? Right where you're at. Let's rekindle, let's reinvoke our covenant with Him. Father, we thank you right now that you've brought us in to victory through Jesus. And right now we lift our hearts, we lift our voices individually across this room and online, those of us engaging with you right now. Wanting more than just to be covered with regard to sin. Wanting more than just to be forgiven. We want the spirit of faith to rise up deeply within. We want to be partakers of victory. We want to be so one with Jesus, so one with the anointed, so one with the Christ, that our inner man is completely shifted and changed, that we live wholeheartedly, that we live out of victory, that we live anticipating that regardless of the season, we can live in a season of victory. That we can live trusting you, that you're our provider, our protector, our promotion, our help, that you are wisdom to us, that you set us apart. We depend on you, Father. We believe for a set-apart life in the midst of every season. Let's take the bread together right now. Just thank him that he's done this. Thank him that he's done this. His broken body on our behalf. He's done this. He's done this. We enter into it. We say yes to it. We shed worthlessness. We shed shame and fear, inferiority, negativity. We say no to it. Come on, just keep praying where you're at. Keep praying where you're at. Draw near to Him. Let's take the cup together. Father, we thank you this morning that this cup represents the covenant Jesus made on our behalf. Doing what we couldn't do. Doing on our behalf what we couldn't accomplish. And we enter in today. We enter in today and commemorate it with this cup. Let's do it together. And I want you to say it with me. I'm a partaker of victory. I live in a season of victory. 
victory encompasses me. I receive the vision of victory, the heart of victory, the faith of victory. I receive that I could even be and even now lay hold of the forerunner lifestyle, that I'm a forerunner of victory. I'm one who brings victory. I receive it today in Jesus' name and according to his finished work. Everybody said, amen. Let's worship as we close this morning. God bless you, church. Thank you for being a part of this.